Chapter 4 of The Red Cross Girls with the Stars and Stripes. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Red Cross Girls with the Stars and Stripes by Margaret Vandercook. Chapter 4 With the American Army in France. But, Jean, the hospital is so perfect in every detail. I don't see how you have managed, and it is so fine to be working here in France with you, again. But best of all, you don't seem to have changed, and I was afraid... Nona ended her speech abruptly, not having intended making this final remark. Three or four hours before, she and Barbara Thornton and two other Red Cross nurses had arrived at the new hospital, set aside for the care of the American soldiers, of which Eugenia, Madame, Henri Castain was in charge. For the first two hours Eugenia had been too occupied to do more than greet her old friends and make the acquaintance of the new girls, but since dinner she had been showing the four of them over the hospital. So far there were not a great many patients, only a few of the soldiers with not very serious illnesses, so they were receiving the most devoted attention. Then after their survey of the hospital, Eugenia and Mildred Thornton, with the four newcomers, had gone up to their own rooms. The nurses' rooms were on the top floor of the building, which it had once been a private country place, converted, largely under Eugenia's direction, into a modern hospital. Instead of occupying one long room like a hospital ward, it was one of Eugenia's ideas that the Red Cross nurses required privacy and quiet after the long strain of their work. So the space had been divided into small apartments, two girls in each room. Nona and Eugenia were to have one, Barbara Thornton and Mildred Thornton, her sister-in-law, the one adjoining, while Molly Drew and Agatha Burton were across the hall. The half-dozen other nurses had the same arrangements. At Nona's last words, Eugenia Castain's face had changed in expression slightly but she made no reference to what the words had implied. However, Nona remembered that Mildred Thornton had already written and had also told them that Eugenia never discussed Captain Castain's disappearance and no one knew what her real feeling was or even if she believed her husband dead. Just now and then in this world of ours, and but very rarely, one may be a witness to what may well be called the miracle of love. Eugenia's marriage to Captain Castain was one of these miracles. The surprise of his caring for her when she considered herself so unworthy, the charm of his companionship, although they had seen each other seldom, whatever it was, the fulfillment of the best in her, which comes to some women only through marriage, had come to Eugenia. This she could never lose. So the somewhat narrow-minded, even if intelligent and conscientious old maid had disappeared forever, and Eugenia, or Madame Eugenie, as the French people called her, was one of the most gracious and sympathetic of women. Moreover, she had a genius for hospital work. Whatever demand she might make upon her assistance under the pressure of necessity, she was never unjust and never spared herself. Two great traits in the fine executive nature. Oh, I am all right, never more interested than in our American hospital, Nona, I thought I could never care for any soldiers as I have for the gallant Poilus. Always gay and full of courage, even to the end. 
but now when i think of our american boys coming on this long journey to fight for the triumph of christ's idea of human equality for that is what in its largest sense this war against germany means well perhaps i am too much of an enthusiast but there i am on my present hobby and i did not wish to talk just to personal matters this first night eugenia had raised her arms and was taking down her long heavy brown hair it was only about eight o'clock in the evening but the four friends had planned to undress and have the hours before bedtime for a long talk in the next room barbara was re-reading a letter which she had found waiting for her at the hospital written by her husband she and her sister-in-law were discussing this and other family matters nona had already undressed and put on her dressing gown a lovely blue silk negligee which sonya had given her since sonya now insisted on nona's having pretty clothes she was now half sitting half lying on the bed with her pale yellow hair rippling over the pillow eugenia turned to put on her own lavender dressing gown and then stood looking down on the other girl tell me nona of course i understand you don't have to confess unless you wish but you know i have always wondered are you especially interested in anyone so far you alone of our group of four red cross girls seems to have escaped and i certainly never dreamed in those early days that both barbara and i would be married mildred engaged and you remain free is it because you are too much of a fra angelico angel who was it who used to insist you looked like one to feel ordinary emotions nona laughed glad that eugenia could discuss this particular subject in so cheerful and natural a fashion yet changing color slightly do you wish me to confess jean that i am so much less attractive because after all that must be the truth nona tried to keep her voice perfectly steady and her eyes directly regarding jean's nevertheless to her own annoyance she found that eugenia's question had brought back the memory of eugenio soli in the last night in the old italian garden again she wondered if he had ever really cared for her something in her expression may have betrayed her for eugenia changed the subject don't you think mildred is keeping up wonderfully well when she hears so little news of general alexis he is still a prisoner and must remain one until the new government discovers that in spite of his personal friendship for the former czar he believes in democracy it seems rather a pity at present that they must lose the services of so fine an officer but by the way nona i meant to tell you i had a letter from a friend of yours a dr latham he wrote me he had not seen you in the united states but that sonya had told him you were coming to me he seemed to feel he would like to help us here at our american hospitals not his one alone but wherever he may be most useful of course i know him by reputation nona frowned slightly oh i was not sure dr latham had returned from italy although he did not intend to stay after he had been able to teach his new treatments of wounds to the italian surgeons he is a wonderful surgeon but a great bear of a man and in a way i am sorry if he has to come here he took up such a lot of my time in florence but at this instant barbara thornton made a pretense of knocking on the door although she entered without waiting for a reply don't you and nona think it would be wiser for all four of us to be in the same room when we talk jean instead of having to repeat everything we say i've just had a most cheerful and agreeable letter from dick 
but do you suppose that husband of mine deigns to tell me where he is? This somewhere in France address must get on a good many people's nerves, but he need not be afraid I shall try to look him up or interrupt him. I expect to be as busy as he is. Barbara took hold of Eugenia by one hand and drew her to a seat beside her on the bed. Hope I shall be a more satisfactory Red Cross nurse this time than I was at the beginning, Jean. Remember you wished to send me home, then? But you always were wonderful. Do you know, I think you are intended to be a mother superior, or a lady abbess, if you had lived in other days, Jean. As it is, I would rather work under you as a Red Cross nurse than any other woman in Europe. Don't be a goose, Bab. Madame Castaigne returned with just a sufficient reminder of her one-time severity to make the three other nurses, including Barbara, smile. But there, I can't remember you are a married woman with a baby child. It was fine of you to come over to us to help under the circumstances. Barbara hesitated and flushed. I don't wish to sail under false colors, Jean, with you or Mildred or Nona. I think I came to Europe half because Dick is here, and the other half because I wish to help. Do you think I can ever manage to see him? I couldn't have endured his being so far away. Barbara looked so absurdly childish and forlorn that both Nona and Mildred were amused. It was Jean these days who understood. Of course you will, Bab. Dick may even be helping with the ambulance work not far from here sometime. In any case, I expect we can manage a meeting. But if you children are not too tired tomorrow, I want to take you over to our American camp. I have special permission for us to be shown as much as we have time to see. Later, the officers may not wish us, and also we may be too busy. It is also wonderful and inspiring. Eugenia ceased talking, and for an instant no one spoke. This was because they all heard a curious noise just outside the closed door, one that puzzled Nona and Barbara. However, the next instant the door swung slowly open, and a great silver-gray figure entered the little room and padded softly up to Eugenia, and there stood gravely regarding the two newcomers. This is our American hospital mascot. You remember Monsieur Le Duc, or Duke, as we used to call him, don't you, Nona? You and Bab? After Henri disappeared, in the most curious fashion, without anyone being able to explain how he could have known, Duke grows so utterly wretched, my mother-in-law wrote me she thought the poor fellow would die. So I went back to the chateau to see him. He grew better then, but I had to bring him away with me. He never leaves me when it is possible to be near. I think he has an idea he must take care of me. At first I was afraid he was going to be a nuisance, but wherever I have been the soldiers have adored him. Come, Duke, won't you speak to your old friends? And as if he had only been waiting for Eugenia's suggestion, the great dog walked softly over first to Nona and then to Bab, gravely extending his paw to each of them in turn. You look older, don't you, poor old Duke, Bab whispered, putting her brown head down on the dog's silver-gray one. Here is hoping for happier days. But she said this so that Eugenia did not hear her. Aloud, she announced, I should think I would like to see the American camp. I never imagined such a privilege. You know, Jean, there was the dearest young officer whom we met on the train, a Kentucky boy. He said he was awfully anxious to introduce some of his brother officers to me, only he did not see how he was ever to manage. The regulations were so severe. 
Nona raised herself up on one elbow. Barbara Thornton, kindly remember you are married, and Eugenia merely said she wished to show us the American camp, not to entertain us by having us meet the soldiers. Really, you know, I never approved of your coming over to nurse again, but I did not anticipate this particular form of frivolity, considering that Mildred is your sister-in-law. Barbara looked so extremely comfortable at this accusation that both Eugenia and Mildred laughed, and this was what Nona had hoped for. Since Duke's unexpected appearance had brought back memories difficult to take lightly. The American hospital, where the four American Red Cross girls and their new companions were to work, was at the edge of one of the villages in which the great permanent war camp for the United States soldiers had been located. Yet one could scarcely say the camp had been located in the village, since it not only included the French village, but also covered the surrounding country on all sides. In the little French houses of frame and plaster, the officers and as many of the soldiers as possible were quartered, but wherever it was necessary, with the number of men increasing each day, barracks were being built by the soldiers themselves and their French comrades, while a few tents dotted the fields like a sudden upspringing of giant mushrooms. Not long after daylight next morning, Eugenia, Mildred Thornton, and the four new nurses started for the village. They wished to be in time for the morning drill. A moment or so before their arrival, a little way off they heard the clear, sharp call of the bugle, and then the tramping of many thousands of feet. After a sentry had investigated her permit, Eugenia led the way to the roof of one of the little French houses. She seemed to know its occupants and to have received permission beforehand. The roof was not flat. Few roofs of the houses in French villages are, though one finds them almost always with the broad straight roofs in the larger apartment dwellings in Paris. But this small house had a little balcony at the top, and steep steps, almost like a ladder, leading from the inside. From the balcony one could see the great drill ground, where the United States troops were now forming in lines. Over the fields of France floated the stars and stripes. But the American girls, who had lately arrived, could not see plainly, for the mist in their eyes. End of chapter 4